evidence and answers. Recent studies by sociologist George Barna revealed that only 17% of the church has a biblical worldview. In other words, that church thinks more like the culture than like Christ. Paul warns Christians in Colossians to beware that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. However, studies show that most Christians have been taken captive by the culture. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zuckerat. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will conclude his message entitled, Captive to the Culture, and explain why most Christians are captives of today's culture and how we can break free from our captivity. Paul says here, For though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of faith in Christ. So apparently this heresy had not infiltrated and taken a foothold in the church yet. This is one of the greatest threats to believers in Christ and the body of Christ, false teaching. And if it gets a foothold in a church, it will poison and eventually corrode the life of believers and the body of Christ. So when you know God's Word, you're not going to get easily deceived. Well, how is the church doing today? Well, George Barna, in his research, did a massive, massive survey in his book, Think Like Jesus, and he discovered only 10% of Christians even have a biblical worldview. All right, that means 90%, 9 out of 10 people in church, think like the culture and not like Christ. 90% of the church is captive to the culture and not completing Christ. Only 10% have a biblical worldview. Only 2% of our young people have a biblical worldview. And what was most shocking is that less than half the pastors, and these are good Bible teaching churches, all right? These aren't liberal churches he was uh, surveying. Less than half the pastors even have a biblical worldview. How can we impact the culture when we think just like the culture? Christ called us to be salt and light, but it looks like we've been salted and licked. Instead of impacting the culture for Christ, the culture is impacting and transforming the church. Why is that going on? And the results have been disastrous. We know surveys show that 80% of our young people abandon their faith after four years of college. Why is that? Well, the college campus is dominated by the ideas that stand against Christ. Atheistic Darwinism, the new atheist movement, is dominated by the naturalist worldview. Relativism, pluralism, the new tolerance, these are the ideas that dominate the university campus and the culture today. And our young people are ill-equipped to engage these ideas and we send them out into the spiritual and intellectual battlefield with a water gun and they're unable to stand up against the powerful persuasive teachings of the university culture and their professors and their faith is blown out immediately in fact we're learning it doesn't happen just in college it's already happening at the junior high and high school level and we're learning apologetics you have to do at the junior high level already all right they're being bombarded by the ideas that dominate the culture today 
Buying into these ideologies can have a very corrosive effect on your faith in Christ. Paul knew what the ideas of the culture were, and he knew how to engage them for Christ. So your life application is this. There's one part of apologetics that defends the faith. 1 Peter 3.15, but set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer, an apologia, a defense, to everyone who asks you the reason, the logos, a rational, reasonable answer for the hope that you have in Christ. An emotional faith is only going to take you so far. Sooner or later, you're going to need to know why. You're going to need to have solid evidence and reasons for why you believe in Christ when your faith is challenged by the ideas of the culture that stand against the teachings and truth of Christ. So every Christian needs to know not only what they believe, but why they believe, so that when challenged by the ideas of the culture, you can make a defense for why you believe and stand against the assaults that come upon your faith in Christ. So Paul says, do not be deceived. His third exhortation is found in verses 6 through 7. Be living for Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so also walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ, so walk in him. Those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord were to remember to walk in obedience to Christ, to bring every part of your life under the lordship of Christ. And he exhorts believers to be rooted okay, and grounded in their faith. Rooted as the image of a tree with solid roots so that when the hurricane comes, it's not blown over. To be established, to be built up in the faith. Built up there means to be strengthened in the faith. That comes through prayer, worship, fellowship together, and I want to emphasize the study of the Word. Right? I emphasize study because that's the most neglected part of the Christian's life. We have today one of the most highest biblical illiteracy rates in the history of the church. That's hard to believe, isn't it? With all the tools that we have today, we have one of the highest biblical illiteracy rates in the church. And Paul says, abounding with thanksgiving, gratitude is the hallmark of a believer's life. It's the mark of a mature believer in Christ. So Paul says, you accepted Christ as Lord? Walk in a manner worthy of that. Remember that and bring every part of your life under the lordship of Christ. In my lifetime, I've seen many Christian leaders, even uh, good friends of mine, fall under the power of sin. And uh, a lot of my students and Christians have been asking me about one of our recent friends uh, who passed away last year, perhaps the most well-known apologist of our time. He was, after Billy Graham died, he was probably the most well-known speaker in the world, Christian speaker in the world. Everywhere I went, everyone knew who he was. And recently it's been confirmed that throughout his life he had been involved in sexual misconduct, which included rape and sexual abuse of multiple women. 
Hard to believe a man so powerful in his ability to communicate the truth of God's Word who impacted thousands of lives throughout the world could have had this hidden, dark, secret life of sin. What happened there? Well, sin got a foothold and eventually took control. That's why Paul says, remember, just as you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in Him. Not only do you have to think right, you've got to live right in obedience to Christ. Many of us think we can control sin, but if we don't deal with it quickly, it eventually takes control of you and me. What happened to this man and many Christian leaders, men and women, can happen to any one of us. We're all vulnerable. And I'm not throwing stones at them because I know that could easily be me. We need to walk under the Lordship of Christ. You think you can control sin, but if you don't deal with it, it's going to take you prisoner and control you. So our life application is this. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. When Paul speaks, he's not speaking to one individual person at Colossae. He's speaking to the body, the entire church of Colossae. The Christian life is meant to be lived together, to study the Word together, to worship together, to fellowship together, to be built up in Christ together as a family, as a believer in Christ. That's why I'm so thrilled to see this church packed out, you know, because you're coming together to worship together because that's how the Christian life is meant to be fully displayed there. So fine, get in those connect groups. Find accountability partners, men and women you can share your deep struggles with and say, hey, I know this ain't going out of this group, but I got to share this. I'm struggling, man. Pray for me. Pray for me, guys. Help me out here. Keep me in prayer. That's what we need. And often that was a missing thing in many of these believers' life who went astray. And Paul's final exhortation is this. So there's two to-be's and two not-to-be's, right? Be educated, be walking in Christ, do not be deceived. And the last one, do not be taken captive by the culture. So see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, Paul is not writing against all philosophy here. He's writing against false philosophy, all right? And Paul describes false philosophy as empty. It's deceptive. It's based on human tradition rather than that of Christ. So there was false teaching that was threatening the Colossian church. And Paul gives you three descriptions of that false teaching here. He says it's a philosophy based on human tradition. It's based on human wisdom apart from God. Truth is rooted and sourced in God. That's where truth comes from. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If your truth is not based on a Christian worldview then where are you getting truth from? Not from the source. You're getting it from somewhere else, which is ultimately not truth. Truth is sourced in God. And human reason can arrive at truth, and truth points its way back to its source, which is God. Turn away from God, your compass is pointed in the wrong direction. 
And when men reject God, they turn away from the truth and they're headed in the wrong direction. And Paul says, the second description, that these uh, philosophies are based on elemental spirits of the world. Elemental spirits here refer to demonic. The dark spirits that are the powerhouse source behind the promotion of these philosophies. And he says, such a philosophy is worldly. It's a demonic. Right? First Timothy 4.1, Paul talks about in latter days, men will follow deceptive teachings of spiritual darkness. Think about a lot of these philosophies out there. They're ridiculous. You know, relativism, no such thing as truth. Is that a statement of truth? <laughs> I mean, but that dominates our culture. Go to the university. These kids are smart. 99% of them are relativists. How are they embracing that? You know, you look at a religion like Islam. You know, that when men die, they're going to go to heaven and have their 70 virgins for martyrs, 40 for good men. Who believes that stuff? 1.4 billion people in the world do. And these are smart, sharp, you know, some of our mathematics comes from the Islamic world. And these are sharp people. You know, you look at Darwin's theory. It's got some serious flaws that show you the system doesn't work. But 90% of the scientific world holds to that and will defend it to the very end. Why is that? There's another source of power driving these false ideas. There's something very powerful behind it. And Paul says here, it's these elemental spirits. And the philosophy is not Christian. It contradicts the teachings of Christ. So the most serious danger, Paul states, is based solely on human wisdom, void of God. Philosophy that is based on God's truth, built on the premise that God exists and truth is sourced in Him, is solid. Philosophies and ideas that remove God from the picture, the source of truth, that's what Paul says is empty philosophy empty ideology. And Paul says, we've all got to be careful not to become ensnared in such thinking, to become captive to those false ideas of the culture. And how do we answer the threat? Paul says here in verse 9, for in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. There's no fullness in false and empty worldly philosophy based solely eh, on human wisdom. We can only have fullness of wisdom and truth and fullness of life in Christ. Apart from Christ, there's only emptiness. And all believers have the fullness of Christ. And Paul wanted all believers to become complete and mature in Christ, experiencing the fullness and richness and the wonder of walking with Christ and of relationship with God that we're all to have individually and as believers in Christ. But Paul also knew the threat that's out there. These false ideologies can lead you astray and rob you of the fullness of life that was meant to be ours in Christ. And Paul knew what these ideas were. He's able to describe them. And believers in Christ, we need to know what these ideas of the culture are and to be able to refute them with the truth of Christ. You've been seeing uh, what's been going on in our nation today. 
these riots just tearing apart and dividing the nation. What's going on here? Well, the birds have come to nest. Okay? What we're seeing in our nation today is the result of a move away from God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul, civilizations rise, civilizations fall. Most civilizations only last about 200 years. Okay, we're at the 250 mark now. No empire lasts forever. And uh, you can listen to my uh, show on that, The Rise and Fall of Nations. But we are seeing the fruits of embracing the, the, our nation, turning away from God, embracing then false ideas, and the fruits of these false ideas come into fruition now. You see, the foundation of a free nation and a democracy. Our founding fathers taught this from the very beginning. The foundation is morality and religion. That's the foundation. A democracy only works if the people are morally good and can govern themselves. If everyone's cheating in business, the government has to step in and control and take over your business. All right? If everyone can't act morally, responsibly in their neighborhood. The government has to come in and patrol and take over your neighborhood, all right, and monitor every step of your life. A democracy only works if the people are morally good and can govern themselves. And you can't have a moral law without a moral lawgiver. You can't have a universal moral law, a universal standard of right and wrong that everybody is under without a moral lawgiver. Without God, you don't have a universal moral law. How do we determine right and wrong then? How do we determine right and wrong if there is no God in universal moral law? History shows us it's might makes right. Who's ever got the power is going to determine right and wrong, and it becomes tribal warfare. That's what it becomes. You no longer have a United States. You've got tribal warfare. Each side trying to gain power through force over the other. That's exactly what Nietzsche, the philosopher who said God is dead, was going to happen. And he said, when we killed God, we killed man, and there's going to be blood in the streets. Why? Because now there's no universal standard of right and wrong. Everything is tribal warfare. And might makes right, and those who seize the power by force are the ones who are going to determine right and wrong. And that's what you see going on in our country today. We can't appeal to the law of God because we've turned away from God. Where do we appeal? To whoever has the power. That's what it's going to come down to. That's why Washington, in his farewell address, warned America. This used to be standard reading for every student that graduates from high school. It was taken out because he mentions God too much. But he said this, of all disposition and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion, and he's not talking New Age, all right? He's talking Christian. Okay, the context is correct. Religion and morality are indispensable supports. You can't have a free people without a universal moral law, and you can't have a universal moral law without a moral lawgiver. He says, and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion, Christian faith. Whatever may be concerned to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in the exclusion of religious principle. Without God, you can't have a universal moral law. Look at our founding documents. Professor Heinemann and Lutz did the most extensive study on 15,000 
documents of our founding fathers, the most quoted source is what? The Bible. The Bible. Read the Declaration of Independence. Yes. That all men are what? Created equal, endowed by their creator with inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Creator, creation, and a universal moral law. When they wrote the Declaration of Independence, what were they battling against? Now, in high school, we learned, we learned it was taxation without representation. It was all about money and economics because our public education system was reformed by Dewey, and Dewey was a socialist. And everything is defined in terms of economics now in our public age. I thought it was all about money. I thought we fought the Civil War over money. I thought everything was about money. Then I actually read the Declaration of Independence in graduate school. You know what they were fighting about? Tyranny and injustice. And they said, we stand against tyranny and just based on what? Money? No. Based on the laws of God. We appeal to the highest power there is, God's law. We are endowed with these rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of man, which doesn't come from man. It comes from God. He was appealing to God. John Adams, our next president, said this, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry, which, yeah, are we seeing that today, would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So without those, we fall into tribal warfare. And Oz Guinness, who spoke at our conference several years ago, he's probably the most noted Christian statesman of our time. And he said this. He said, young people, you are the crunch generation. This is the crunch generation. We are facing a battle like we've never seen before. And how you address and engage the ideas of the culture today will determine whether your nation survives or it collapses. Civilizations don't last forever. Could this be the generation that sees the fall of America? Very well could. Democracies are a very fragile thing. And if you've got a nation that's turned away from the source and root of what makes a democracy strong, when the foundation falls, can the house still stand? That's why this is the crunch generation. So our final application is this. This part of apologetics, we saw it's defending the faith, but apologetics is also equipping us to discern and demolish false ideas. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish every stronghold and every idea and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ and take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. We are not called to run away from the culture and run from the ideas and isolate ourselves behind the walls of this church. Error runs from truth, but truth never runs from error. We're called to go out and engage the culture and its ideas for Christ. Who? Me alone? No. Your pastor? No. Every believer in Christ. That's what we're called to do. Oh, I can't do that. Sure you can. Sure you can. Right? Paul wouldn't have commanded this if we weren't able to. So we're not to run from the ideas of the culture that dominate our culture. We're called to engage the culture and its ideas with truth. Paul says here we demolish strongholds. Before someone will take seriously your message of Christ, there's all these false ideas that, like a fortress, they keep them from seriously 
hearing and considering your message. Paul says you go in there and you demolish these false ideas. You show them where it's false with the truth of God's word. You overturn them. You demolish them. And when you show their ideas are false, then they're going to take your message much more seriously. But it takes training, takes study, takes skill for every believer to be able to do that. Imagine if all the believers in Christ had that kind of ability. Man, would we be making an impact on the culture today. Well, that's our final application. So today, more than ever, we need a healthy church with people thinking right and living right to be light in darkness. We need to become complete in Christ and not captive to the culture. God bless you and God bless the teaching of his word. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarello.